Stories. Everybody's got them, and we can learn from each other. History can be traced through letters and writings, but the one thing that has remained throughout the generations is the oral tradition. Oral history is one attempt to pass along the stories, tales, musings, and remembrances of one family for the benefit of listeners for generations to come. Join us now for this episode of Oral History with Jeff Zulkowski. Thanks for joining us today. Appreciate the extra day to recuperate a little bit. Um, I didn't post this until Sunday evening. Um, normally a Saturday evening at 8 o'clock is my goal, but I've spent the last seven days in bed, um, just flu-type stuff, and it's been really yucky, so I appreciate your uh, staying with me for an extra day. If you're listening to this in the future and this is not on any particular schedule for you, I appreciate you as well. I finished uh, episode 27 a couple weeks ago, a story called Ghost Sports, and afterward had one of my patrons point out that I failed to mention my love for NASCAR in all of that. So in the near future, I'm going to do a Ghost Sports Part 2 and talk about NASCAR specifically because NASCAR kind of came about late in life, and it was really important to me during my time in Nashville, continues to be a, a pretty important part of my sports uh, fandom. And so I will spend some time on that as well. How I came to love the sport, how I came to even focus on the sport is pretty interesting. But um wanted to share with you over the next 30 minutes or so, um, the first of two parts. Um, we're heading into the Christmas season. Again, if you're listening to this in the future, and this is out of context, I apologize, but right now we're heading into the Christmas season. We've just come out of Thanksgiving. We've got several weeks until Christmas, and this has been typically one of the most up and down parts of my life um, throughout my throughout my whole life. Uh, I've, as a kid, just loved Christmas time, and that's what we're going to talk about today. But over the past several years, not including my time at Refuge Community Church, but specifically my time at Cuyahoga Valley Church, it was a very stressful time because everything ramped up around Christmas. Multiple events inside and outside the church. The The goal for the church was to be ready for six or seven services over Christmas weekend, and it just was challenging to me. And I think one of the things is my body has not yet figured out what my mind has, which is I don't work at that job anymore. I have a different job now, but my body still reacts to some of the stressors. And so about Thanksgiving of every year, I tend to get knocked down with something. It was COVID last year, and this year it's we never took the test, but it probably might have been COVID. It may not have been COVID, but I've spent seven days on my back. And so um, just as we move into this time, I want to remember the really good times. I want to go back to my childhood and talk to you a little bit about what Christmas was like for us in the Zilkowski household. And then in two weeks, I want to share with you what Christmas is like now for me and what the, the birth of the baby Jesus means. It's it's not just the reason for the season, it's the reason for everything. And I'll share that with you in two weeks. But right now, I want to take you back into my childhood a little bit. 
share with you some things uh, or just a random smattering event of events that have happened throughout my lifetime around Christmas time and just the joy that this time of year uh, has always brought to me. Growing up as a kid in Florence, Colorado, my parents, as I've mentioned to you many times, provided for us very well. My mom worked as a nurse's aide for the hospital in Florence. My dad ran a vending route where he took care of cigarette and candy machines. And I can recall one time having a peek at what my dad brought home every week. And my dad brought home $125 a week. And somehow he used that along with what my mom made to feed a family of five, my brother, my sister, my mom, and my dad and I. And in all of that, I look back now at my life in this six-room house that we lived in, not six bedrooms, six rooms, living room, bedroom, kitchen, bedroom, bedroom, and bathroom, going from left to right, front to back. This little thousand-square-foot house in the middle of Florence, Colorado. And I realized that in all of that, my parents kept the fact that we were poor from us. And I don't think that was a bad thing. They just never talked about it. They never talked about there being money problems. They never argued in front of us. They just did what they had to do to make things happen. And oftentimes it involved neighbors and friends, and it was always a wonderful time at Christmas time. I remember our porch had four columns out front and uh, a kind of a wraparound porch, two windows in the front of the house, door in the center. And my dad would put on the town for Christmas every year. He would break out tinsel and lights and he would string up lights around those poles and across the top and all the way around the sides and he would put flocking spray on the windows and we'd put a tree in the front window so that everybody could see it and we just had this beautiful little home that in the dark of our particular street just lit up with multicolored lights and was the spirit of what I knew at that time. Not being a believer, that's what Christmas was to me. Now, I can recall as a kid, I first realized that I was having eyesight difficulty when I was in third grade. Yes, I do have a point. I'll get there, I'll get there pretty quickly. But I had difficulties in second grade, and they moved me to the front of the class in third grade, and they finally realized that it was eyesight problems, and they realized how just nearsighted I was. And as a kid, that's somewhat devastating. I mean, you're going to wear glasses for the rest of your life, and you're going to probably be labeled a geek and all of the things that attached with that. But I found even the silver lining in that, because when I was a kid, and even today, when I take my glasses off and slide under the Christmas tree... Yeah, I go head first under the tree and tilt my head back. The Christmas tree is the most beautiful thing because it's a series of lights that are completely out of focus. And if you're blessed with 2020 eyesight, you can't appreciate this. Um, you see it in photographs sometimes. They, they refer to the effect as bokeh. Um, B-O-K-E-H. And it's a, it's a principle in photography where typically the foreground is in focus, but the background is out of focus. And the background doesn't just get blurry 
in a flat, dull sort of way. It gets blurry in a very active sort of way. Lights take on shapes. Typically for me, it was an octagonal shape. And every one of those octagonal shapes had a little dark spot in it from whatever floaters I may have had in my eyes. And they would just dance in the light. So you you not only had this beautiful, blurry, multicolored mess, but you had this dancing and twinkling of lights in the foreground in your, in your sight if you were nearsighted like I was. And I enjoyed so much as a kid just taking off my glasses and sliding under the tree. And like I said, I even do it today. It's one of the most uh, joyful things at Christmas time. that and music. Music was huge in our house. We wore out several records, yes, records, vinyl, um, over the years. One of them was an Andy Williams Christmas album. And I knew every word of every song, front to back, forward and backward of that album. Another one was a Nat King Cole Christmas album. And and then there were others, classics like Bing Crosby and Perry Como and people of that nature. And just the songs that we all grew up listening to and singing or caroling, whatever the case may be, these were the songs of my childhood. And I enjoyed all of this just so much. There were comical times around Christmas as well. One of those times in particular came during decorating of our house. Now, my dad was a decorator extraordinaire. He put his whole heart and mind into it, but he wasn't particularly well planned out in his thoughts oftentimes. We now in my family often joke that we're looking for the perfect grandpa house because later in my dad's life, he would tend to decorate in a way that he would string the lights as far as he could. And then when he was done decorating the house, he would just kind of take the strand and string it out to a tree and wrap it around the lower branch of a tree. So we often look for the house that looks like they did a nice job with the house, but then just had extra lights. So it just kind of dribbles off into the yard somewhere. And we still play that game every Christmas, my family and I. But what seems comical now to me probably wasn't very comical for my dad because my dad purchased some flocking spray. I don't know if you're familiar with this product, but it's just basically a bubbly white spray paint that you paint the corners of windows to make them look like they have frost on them and that sort of thing. It's designed to be sprayed on the glass. And my dad had a plan one year. He decided that he was going to create two silhouettes on the screens of the front of our house. Now, again, we had two windows on either side of a center door, so our house was very symmetrical. And these two windows in the front of the house were covered in black wooden screens. The screen material was metal, but the frames were wooden and they were black. And my dad decided that he was gonna use the flocking spray, create some silhouettes of a star and a bell on those, and he was going to spray the outer portions of these screens with the flocking spray. Well, that worked really well, except this particular stuff is designed to be sprayed on glass and then cleaned off, scraped off, wiped off, whatever the case may be. On the screen material, it was very, very permanent. So we had a bell and a star on the front of our house for 
probably about six or seven years. And that wasn't the only unusual thing about our home. We we had no dirt in our yard. I think I mentioned before that we had the perfect siltiest dirt that was completely devoid of even microorganisms because my dad was going to fertilized the lawn and did it with pure nitrogen pellets. And so here you have this little house in the middle of Florence, Colorado, with no grass, dirt everywhere, and a permanent, semi-permanent at least, bell and star on the front of the house year-round. And that was just the stuff that went on. And it now that we look back on it, it was comical. It was comical to think that that lasted that long. And I recall the the final uh, moment when my dad said, I'm finally done with this. And he took uh, a, a power washer and he power washed those screens until most of it was gone. And then we repainted them with black spray paint. But it was a long time before we did that. It was just kind of a, a thing. The Zilkowski house was going to have a permanent bell and a star on the front of the house year-round. Sometimes our lights were up until February, March, April, May, you you guessed it, um, because we just didn't want to take them down. So some of the comical times came at the hands of the decorating. Some of it came in the form of gift-giving. I can recall, and I may have mentioned it before, that one of my dad's best friends was a guy named Gene. Gene was uh, a single guy that lived in town. His family lived in Ohio, which is really strange now that I live in Ohio. But um, Gene just was a great friend with my dad, didn't have any family around him, so he kind of adopted our family for the most part. And I can recall one year, we all got something under the tree from Gene that was about the shape and size and weight of a brick. And we were all very perplexed as to what this might be. We figured it probably is a brick because it sure feels like one and it sure sounds like one when you shake it. And I was notorious for shaking gifts. But when we opened them on Christmas morning, there were $20 bills and $50 bills and $100 bills from Gene as a gift to our family wrapped around those bricks. This was the kind of Christmas surprises we had often. Um, I mentioned that I spent a lot of time trying to second-guess my parents on Christmas gifts. For kids nowadays, you don't have the expectation of Christmas that we had in the 70s and 80s. Um, Christmas began sometime in November when two things arrived in the mail. It was either the Montgomery Ward catalog, Christmas catalog, or the Sears Christmas catalog. And maybe the Spiegel catalog was another one. But these were um, special editions of their catalogs that they put out that were all Christmas stuff. And we would pour over these as kids page by page going, ooh, wouldn't it be cool to have that? Ooh, wouldn't it be cool to have that? And... I know what my parents must have been feeling during this time because we were going through and we were marking expensive things like in the 80s, um, you know, video game systems and Atari system and things of that nature. And my parents had to have just felt the weight of not being able to 
provide some of that. And we often got things that we wanted and we often got things that we were surprised about. But my parents were, they had to go to great lengths to keep it from us because I in particular was really good at figuring out what gifts were. One Christmas in particular, I remember my parents foolishly put the gifts under the tree wrapped and I spent the entire time deciphering what every gift was. I could shake this one and I knew the basic shape. It was about 13 inches long and about four inches wide and about an inch and a half tall and it rattled really well. And I'm thinking that's the mastermind game. Now mastermind was a, was a, f a board game with little plastic pegs and basically one person on one end built a, a pattern of pins in a particular order and the other person had 10 guesses to guess them and get them in the right spot. Kind of like Wordle is today but with colored pegs. So I had that figured out and, and just on and on and my parents began to realize that they couldn't in all good conscience present us with a surprise Christmas gift at Christmas if we were going to if they were going to put the gifts under the tree so it became more and more about hiding the gifts my parents found places in closets and attics and under their bed and in the garage and different places and then they had to get very creative because we figured all of those out and they began hiding them at my grandparents house and we would go to my grandparents about once a week and we would sneak off into various aspects of the house looking for christmas gifts like we were relentless looking for christmas gifts and there were times i don't know where my parents hid them because we exhausted every place in my parents' house and my grandparents' house, and we were still unable to find them. They were probably at my dad's work, even though there I was looking for them. Um, so my parents had to get really good at hiding things from us. But again, sometimes we got what we wanted and sometimes we didn't. Um, I can recall one year wanting very specifically a uh, Citizens Band radio base station CB radio, big in the 1970s, movies like um, Convoy and Smokey and the Bandit, where they talk on the CB radio to one another from vehicle to vehicle. And as a kid who was fascinated with communications in general, this just fascinated me. I had had walkie-talkies growing up, but I had never had an official CB radio of any sort. And so my parents bought me this CB radio base station and it broadcast, I think at that time there were only 23 channels on CB radios. They went to 40 at some point, but you could broadcast on just about all of them if I remember correctly. And it was just like one of the most exciting gifts I ever got. I can recall um, asking for a drum set one year, the gift that no parent ever wants to give their child because you give the gift and then you have to put up with the kid banging on the gift for the next, you know, three to six months or however long they play with it before they get bored with it. But I remember my parents actually biting the bullet and buying me a, a snare drum set, cymbal set kind of uh, drum set for Christmas one year that had Jeff's band on the on the drum head, on the, on the bass drum head. And just on and on, different things that throughout our lives that just come to remembrance of the, the wonderful gifts that my parents, again, who were nowhere close to having money, found a way to make our Christmas dreams come true. Um, sometimes those comical moments don't come at the hands of 
decorating or gifts, but they come after the gifts. I can recall one Christmas, we had cats in our house all growing up. In particular, we had one mama cat we called Machka that had babies over and over and over. Machka almost seemed like she was born pregnant, and then every time she had a litter, she was pregnant again. And we had a number of those babies stay with us as well. And one in particular was my cat. He was a black cat. His name was Fred. And Fred was awkward. Fred's front feet were a little bit shorter than his back feet. He sort of looked like a, a a race car with the back end jacked up. And he was not very coordinated. He couldn't jump on anything. He would climb onto sofas and onto beds and things of that nature. But Fred loved this one particular Christmas. I got a train set or no, I think it was actually a, a race car set. And it was electric slot cars and you set up the track and you had the controllers and the cars went around and it was so much fun for us but boy it was just the most fun for fred he had ever seen we had uh, a, an ottoman we called it a hassock it was a four-legged uh, place to put your feet in front of the chair and we would put that over the racetrack and fred would climb his way up onto the hassock and lay on the hassock kind of on his side and just very nonchalantly lay there as the tr as the race cars were going by. And the goal was you had to get the car past Fred because Fred would just every once in a while, just as as nonchalantly, as, as cleverly as possible, he would just swing his arm down and whack and your car would go flying off of the track. And that meant you no longer were in the race. You don't really see that in NASCAR. You don't see the big giant cat knocking cars off the track. But in our house, that's kind of one of the Christmas memories that I have. There were many. There were many. Um, my sister and I were about four years apart, so many of them were gifts of games that we shared together and then played together the next several days and months after after Christmas. Our, but our time together was sweet. And it was always... It always revolved around Christmas morning. Um, we would typically go as a Catholic family to Catholic Mass on the night before. Um, it was another one. It was probably the one Catholic service that I actually enjoyed because it was just wrapped around this idea of Christmas. But it didn't, as, I, as I've told you in episodes past, it didn't stop me from sleeping probably halfway through it, especially since it started at midnight and... I had stuff to do the next day. As a kid, I had time to get up and, and open presents. And so a, a Christmas service at midnight that ended at well after one o'clock uh, was, was tough for me as a kid. But we would go, and then Christmas morning for us was always about getting together and opening the gifts and spending time together around the Christmas tree, um, reading the Christmas story at times, I believe. Um, my sister and my brother can probably help fill in that gap for me, but I know that my parents tried to bring some aspect of that into our time, but it was really about just the idea of family and getting together and spending time together with gifts and toys for these kids that didn't get a whole lot, and, and then eating. And Christmas dinner was uh, an outgrowth, maybe a, a 2.0 of Thanksgiving dinner, and just was lavish in all that we had to eat, and, and then a great day to spend the day together. 
my family times around Christmas are sweet. They're they're also bittersweet. I can recall later in my life um, becoming um, more of the go-to person in decorating. My dad would try to help me decorate, and my dad, as I mentioned, wanted to decorate his way. It was it was in my mind, sloppy and haphazard. Okay, I understand, but that's not really what it was. It was it was my dad, and it was his passion to just do it and do it the way he felt like it needed to be done. And when it was done, it was done, and it was good enough. And it wasn't about perfection, but it was for me. And I, I recall one bittersweet Christmas where my dad uh, and I started out decorating together, and... He, I frustrated him so badly that he eventually just gave up and walked away from our time together because it was not going to be perfect unless it was going to be the way I did it. And so it wasn't multicolored lights. It was all one color light. And it wasn't multicolored tinsel. It was all one color tinsel. And in fact, when I got to the end of running lights on one portion of the house, there were th- about five little blue lights left. And I didn't have anywhere to put them, so I ran them down the side of the house and actually got electrical tape and covered each one of them so that you couldn't see those five lights, so that it wouldn't break the perfect symmetry of the house. And it was a time later in my life where I felt like I won the battle, but I lost the war. Because for my dad, it was about being together and doing this together. And for me, I chose to make it about it being perfect and it being symmetrical and it being straight and it being single color. And I, and I lost something with my dad that day. And, and I feel terrible about that. Um, it's why we celebrate now looking for that house that celebrates who my dad is. That, and it's, it's a glorious thing. I will post sometime after Christmas. We'll capture a picture in 2022 of what we find to be the most grandpa-like house. And I'll post it on the Oral History Facebook page. And you can see exactly what I'm talking about. Because I'll point out just the, the, the beautiful beginning and the awkward end of the decorating. And that's exactly what my dad was all about. And so I can recall um, wonderful... Um, memories with my mom as well. With my mom, it's centered around watching Christmas movies and Christmas specials, things like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and the Peanuts Christmas Story, things of that nature. It's a Wonderful Life. Um, All of these different stories, because she and I shared this love of cinema and this love of, of television, and that's how we shared our times together as well. My Times with my sister and my brother were were keen as well. Um, one particular Christmas, we we had asked for a number of things, and I in particular had asked for uh, one of these. One of the big gifts that year was a series of sports toys that were um, basic. It was basically a, a large, maybe fifteen inch doll that was sports themed. It was either a football player who was a kicker or a hockey player or something of that nature. And the idea was you, the player, you would 
mash down really hard on his head and it would cause him to either kick the football through the uprights as a kicker in football or hit the hockey puck really hard in a slap shot as the hockey player. And my family, as I mentioned to you in uh, the episode two weeks ago, we were lovers of hockey. So this particular Christmas, I got the hockey guy. I don't even remember what it was called, but you smacked him on the head really hard and he hit this. He had his stick and he would hit this hockey puck. Well, the toy itself provided a modest amount of fun for me for a little bit. But it got to the point where we got inventive and decided that it, there could be more than this. My brother and I in particular, I was probably maybe eight or nine. He was 18 or 19. And we decided to do away with the doll part. What we were really interested in was this little plastic puck about the size of a 50 cent piece and maybe a three quarters of an inch to an inch thick little plastic puck and we took that and then with wooden spoons out of the kitchen we cleared everything out of the living room and we would have the most brutal hockey matches in the living room his goal was one corner michael was the other corner if it hit the front door i won if it went out into the kitchen it was his win it was kind of diagonally across the kitchen but it was a full-on brawl with wooden spoons trying to knock this puck across the room and into the into the opposing person's net and it was a blast and it involved all of us like we got we my entire family got into this there were cheering sections and just it became the thing one christmas and it was really strange that it all started with this 15 inch plastic doll that kind of sat on its side in the corner of the room while we turned the game into our own particular game of hockey in our living room. But that's just the kind of thing it is. Christmas is, for little kids, sometimes is less about the gift and more about the box that it came in, or less about the gift and more about the wrapping if they're really little. And we do that with my daughter, and we've done that with my daughter. We've, As we've grown up with her, she's gonna be 12 this year, there have been times she's been more enamored by the box and the wrapping than she was with the gift. But the goal in all of it was this being together and having fun together and spending time together, breaking out the games that we got and playing together, be it the hockey or a game of Monopoly or Mastermind, whatever it was, it was all about us being together and spending time together. And and for a lot of people, that's what Christmas is. It's It's really hard for some people because there are people missing at the dinner table. For me, my mom and my dad are both missing. For my wife, her dad is going to be missing this year for her the second time. And, and it's difficult. We've got family that have moved to California and, and North Carolina. We've got my family that are in Colorado and New Mexico. And, and, but we've got our church family as well. And it's about spending time with people. And as difficult as that might be in the midst of grief for some, it's the goal for all of us is to spend time with family and friends around this idea of Christmas. Now, this idea of Christmas is a very secular idea of Christmas. And I understand that 
you've come to expect from me a certain level of spirituality in this. And, and I'm going to save that for part two in two weeks because I want to share with you the real meaning of Christmas. I just wanted to share with you some of the lighthearted moments throughout my childhood of what it was like for us. We, we didn't, none of us knew Christ. We weren't church going except that midnight mass at Catholic church. But Christmas was really about just spending time together. And my hope for you this Christmas is that you have that opportunity, whether it's the family that you grew up with or the family that you have built or the family that is there with you now that has chosen to be your family, whoever that might be. The people that love you are your family. The people that are wanting to be with you at Christmas, those are your family. So cling to them and spend time with them and have fun and enjoy and share the memories. Share the memories of the, the Christmas presents you remember and the, the way the parents had to hide the gifts and the surprise gifts that you got and the decorating wonders and nightmares that occurred. But most of all, remember... And again, this is what we're going to talk about in two weeks, that Christmas is really about this idea of Emmanuel, this, this word that means God with us. It means that God so loved the world that he sent his son to live with us, to tabernacle with us, to, to be with us, to be like us, to be human, but to be pure purely God and purely human at the same time so that he could live a life that could be offered as a sacrifice so that you could come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior so that you could come to be reconciled to God the Father. So I pray this Christmas that you would think about Emmanuel, God with us. And again, we'll, we'll talk more in depth about this in two weeks, but I just want you to hold on to that, that idea that Jesus came to be with you. Jesus came to live a life on earth so that he could be a sacrifice so that you could spend eternity with God. And he did this for you. He came to be God with us. So let me pray for us as we end our time together today. And we'll pick this up again in two weeks. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for the gift of Christmas. Thank you that Jesus is not only the reason for the season, he's the reason for everything. And I thank you, Father, for the wonderful memories of my childhood around the Christmas tree, around decorating, around meals, around gameplay, around gift giving, around spending time with my family. And I pray, Father, that you would be honored and glorified in this podcast, that my daughter, as she listens to these stories, will be encouraged by them. As others hear them, they'll be reminded of their own family and their, the good times that they've had and the good times that they will have. But Lord, we also just bring to you the people that are hurting right now, the people who go into this holiday season hurting because they're grieving the loss of someone. And we pray, Father, that you would draw each of those people, including myself, close to you and just be with them. Be God with them this holiday season. We love you, Lord. We commit our lives to you. We look forward to what you're going to do in the next two weeks and in the next two months and two years and beyond. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being with us. We'll come back in two weeks with the second part of Christmas Memories. 
Thank you for joining us for this episode of Aural History. This has been a production of Z Media and is copyrighted with all rights reserved. Join us again next time.